I have never taken a picture for any other reason than that at that moment it made me happy to do so. Photography to me is catching a moment which is passing and which is true. Welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio and uh, episode 116, 116 for the end of February 2020. Leap year, leap day, year. <laughs> I, I don't know what we call it. This will be coming out on leap day. It gave me an extra day. Uh, first off, let me just say... Uh, that this episode is going to be a rerun of uh, Street Shots episode. Let me just get in front of me. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I forgot the number. But from April of uh, 2019 with me and Ward talking about uh, Lartigue. Um, this is Jacques-Henri Lartigue. Uh, I've been, it's been a busy couple of weeks and, and I've had a lot of freelance jobs. And of course, money needs to come into the household. So the job's got priority and I just haven't been able to get uh, a thought together for this show. So I thought I would rerun that episode. That was actually a really good episode. I think that was probably the first one that I did with Ward uh, in a deep dive on a photographer who I really enjoyed and um, that episode was actually inspired by seeing uh, an episode on YouTube of The Art of Photography. And I'm going to totally forget the guy's name <laughs> who's in it. But he's one of the um, YouTubers I subscribe to. And he had the book. Uh, what was the book? It was Lartigue, Life in Color. And uh, I was really inspired by that episode um, and seeing the pictures. And I didn't. Uh, I really didn't know at that point that Lartigue had photographed in color. I, I know his black and white work, but I didn't know his color work. So I was able to get Ward uh, Rawson, who's a buddy of mine and part of the uh, Unusual Collective, uh, to join me, and we we spoke about it. So I'm going to replay that episode because, A, it was a good episode, and B, I don't really have anything new for this month to actually fill up the time. And so uh, it was actually one of my more popular episodes, surprisingly enough. So uh, for those of you who have heard it, uh, you might, um, you know, if you want to listen to it again, or uh, you can skip over it after my little bit of an intro that I have. i got a couple of things to chat about before I get into that, before I let you rehear that conversation. For those of you who haven't heard it, you know, now's your chance to to listen to it, but I'm just giving you this heads up now because it's a repeat. And so if you want to flip channels, <laughs> now's your time to do so. Um, but, uh, you know, if you didn't hear the episode, I would, I would listen to it again. And maybe if you did hear it, you, you should listen to it again. So uh, anyway, with that out of the way, once I let me get to it in a minute. I just had a couple of things that were on my mind that I just want to throw in here. Not enough to fill up a show with, but just, just some stuff that had popped up. I know this week the... Uh, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about equipment and, but there's a reason I think, <laughs> uh, the new, uh, Fuji just announced them. Fuji has been announcing a lot of new cameras and I'm a Fuji guy. You know, some of you out there are Fuji people, some of you not, and maybe you're sick of hearing it, but there's always some new camera coming out. I call it the shiny objects, right? The, the things that catch our attention, 
uh, for the time being. And of course, listening to the uh, reviews, the previews, I should say, of the uh, new uh, X-T4 that's coming out. And even uh, my buddy Brian Manier has a, a YouTube video. I'll try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes. But if not, you can just look up at Brian Manier's site and, and see the YouTube video he put up about that camera. He gets he's uh, he gets to play around with the Fuji cameras before they uh, get released. Uh, jealous and <laughs> envious. Uh, no, that all's good. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, because I'm a Fuji guy, so I'm always listening to the, you know, what's new. And this was probably one of the most leaked cameras, uh, that, um, I've seen as far as any camera goes. And every day I would look, you know, on some, you know, one of my feeds someplace and there'd be another, you know, the, the manual for the X-T4 has been, you know, leaked in the, the lens diameter, I don't know, whatever, you name it, some crazy stuff was leaked. And at this point, I was actually just about to say, I was about to post something about this being the most leaked camera, and then it was actually released, uh, or at least uh, previewed by people. So it was officially announced. Uh, but anyway, you know, I'm looking at that camera. I'm a Fuji guy. And there's things about that camera that are really, you know, catching my eye, uh, just like the, it, it, they're always meant to do. It's, it's the new stuff really catches our eye and I started thinking oh, what can I do with that camera that uh, that would you know really help me out and you know it's, there's a few things on there that it w that would be nice to have but you know I think about that with every camera that has come out and there's always something on a new camera that I want or I, or I think that I can use or, or something like that and so yes the shiny object that distracts me from the stuff that I've got in front of me and how many of you are distracted by the stuff that is announced and dangled in front of you and, and you know, those of you with uh, open credit cards who have the time to go and the money to go out and buy something new and, and play with it. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not one of those people, uh, although I do find myself, you know, occasionally buying something and going further into debt <laughs> and then wondering, what do I have this thing for? So, the, yeah, the Fuji X-T4 has a bunch of things that are really nice about it. And one of the, I mean, I'll just say what, what appeals to me in that camera is this the internal uh, stabilization in the camera, the IBIS that people are talking about, and it's in there. The, you know, the sensor essentially is moving around to uh, to stabilize the lenses, and where that would help me out a great deal would be with my Nikon glass. I have a lot of Nikon glass, and I've got the uh, adapters for the Fuji camera, and I would love to use some of my Nikon glass on my Fuji cameras and I can because I have got the adapters but one of my favorite lenses it's over there sitting on the radiator I, I mean it's not really getting heat but it's I got a cover on my radiator it's sitting there because I use it for sunrises I got a uh, Nikkor 300 millimeter f4 so it's not you know one of the super expensive Nikkor 300 millimeter lenses uh, it's an f4 but it's made of metal this damn thing is heavy and I've I've owned it for like 25 years, for a long time, maybe, that might even be 25, 30 years, I, oh, 86, 96. yeah, maybe over 30 years, you know, um, and it's a really, really good lens, and it actually looks good on the uh, APS-C sensors, I know it was built for a full-frame film camera, and uh, I've taken some shots with it uh, with my Fuji camera. The problem with it is it's a 300 millimeter, so on the APS-C sensor it's a 450, which means looking through the viewfinder is a pain in the butt because the thing, I, my hands are, I have pretty steady hands, but the magnification on that is just, 
it's crazy. And you know, there's jitteriness uh, galore. And I, I've been able to shoot some stuff, but, but I can't handhold it and shoot anything with it uh, without sort of like, you know, taking a dozen shots and hoping one comes out just because it's, it's so jittery. Um, but it's really sharp. I've done some, I've done some tests with it and I do sunrises with it. And like, if you've seen some of my sunrises, I shoot that with this, uh, with this lens and they're really good, but internal stabilization would make it much, much easier to use. And even though it would be manual focus, I'm pretty decent with manual focus. I'm not shooting sports and stuff like that, but you know, for general things, I can, I can move the focus myself, but you know, finding focus and trying to hold it steady at the same time, that's two battles. I don't, I would rather not fight. And so, you know, having an in, uh, a sensor that's internal you know, a camera that's internal stabilized, you know, that would really help. But, you know, I've got all this Nikon glass and I'm really not using my Nikon cameras anymore. Uh, and I don't think I really will anymore. I mean, I'm, I've got older Nikon cameras and I just don't think I'm going to buy into any new ones. And so, so this X-T4 has got internal stabilization. So that would really help with my old glass. And, uh, you know, I'm not really getting rid of it. I really want to, uh, I really want a camera that could, you know, like the X-T4 where I could use this old good Nikon glass and, and uh, give it a new life. And so that's the thing that really appeals to me. And especially in terms of doing video, even though I'm not doing a lot of video, uh, although I get in that, I'll get into this in a second. I'm not doing a lot of video right now, but the X-T4 has got a lot of video features. And, you know, I can see owning that camera for a while. But this is the thing with every camera that comes out, you know, there's like, oh, I can see, you know, when the X-T3 came out or was announced and, you know, I was like, wow, I, there are things on that. When the X-T2 came out, it was like that with every camera. I've got an X-T2 because uh, as the newer cameras came out, those that camera got cheaper. And so I was able to buy it. Uh, and I, I use it for video as well. I've got a few steady, couple of recurring video jobs, which is, well, I wouldn't say it's, I use it on it. I wish it was a little bit better. You know, that, that 30 minute cutoff for uh, video is just really insane. Uh, you know, I'd rather have, a, I don't have an external monitor recorder on it. Sorry, I'm getting, I know this is a photography podcast. I'm talking about video, but I'm just telling you what, you know, what I'm, what I'm looking for. And, and, you know, as photographers, we have to also be, today, you know, well-rounded in, in motion, you know, so, uh, it's, yes, it's street shots, photography podcast, but you know, I do some video as well. And again, whatever pays the bills. So, uh, yeah. So the shiny objects dangled in front of me. Um, and yeah, no, I'm not going to buy it. I, it's $1,700 and yeah, that's a significant amount of coin. And I just don't see, I can't justify it right now. My X-T2, all my Fuji cameras are doing what I need to do, you know, and maybe if I can make some extra money, uh, I'll buy it. And by the time I make extra money, the camera might come down in price. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. The the shiny, there's a lot of shiny objects dangled in front of me. Um, and to go back to what I was saying, I've been uh, about YouTube. Uh, like I said, this this episode that you're going to hear, Lost in Lartigue, has been inspired by YouTube uh, a show called The Art of Photography. Again, I'm sorry I don't have the guy's name in front of me. Uh, I'm never good with names all the time. But uh, I've been I've been lately sort of addicted to YouTube videos. Um, yes, I'm late to that game, you know, um, but I got it on my Apple TV. And at the end of the night, uh, generally I've been, you know, uh, I, I, I subscribe to uh, some photography, a bunch of photography uh, and video equipment. Um, uh, YouTube uh, channels, 
uh, RVs. I happen to like RVs. I don't have one. I just love looking at them. And some food channels because uh, I like I like cooking. Um, so uh, I've been watching these, you know, and again, like I said, I'm late to the party. Everybody's been watching these. and But it's it's fine. You know, I've been falling asleep in front of, on the couch watching the, the YouTube uh, uh, videos. And, and lately, a lot of things I'm subscribed to, again, have the shiny objects, especially I've been looking at uh, videos that were showing um, – showing uh like like inexpensive video equipment because i do want to build up some of my video business and since i'm not working a regular job i need to figure out other things to do and you know i don't have access to uh, a a lot of money and b uh equipment that i can rent easily so uh i just happen to be watching these channels and my you know finding you know disc like uh Tests, uh, tests on inexpensive microphones and wireless microphone systems and stuff like that. And things that I could kind of afford a little bit now to buy. And, and again, they're, you know, I'm watching these channels and I'm watching these guys review the, you know, all this different equipment. And I'm like, okay. And I'm sitting there with my phone with Amazon app in front of me. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, road wireless mics. And I type in then like they're there. I'm like, okay, order. But, you know, I do want to build up my kit a little bit. Um, but, you know, Anyway, uh, going on so, sort of on a tangent here, what I'm realizing is, you know, I, I other than like the art of photography, the 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 one show I mentioned before, the most of the photography things that I'm subscribed to are the ones that I've been finding, um, or actually when I do a search for photography on YouTube, and what I'm finding most of the time is, you know, how tos equipment reviews, um, you know, opinion pieces about equipment or, or stuff in that genre. And I was really been trying to find sort of like uh, more discussions about photography. And the only one I've found so far uh, who's done some is the art of photography. And he's done some, this is where I found this Lartigue, uh, got inspired by the, the color Lartigue book because uh, he was talking about it on his show. And I was looking for some other episodes or other channels to follow that were in that realm, were, were like kind of like that, because there's equipment and equipment, equipment, equipment. And like I, I can only look at so much equipment. I can only look at so many shiny things dangling. And I, I want to sort of expand. Like, I want to hear what other people are thinking about photography. And I, and I couldn't find any. Now, I didn't. I just did a search for photography, and I scanned the list that came up. And, and you know, I might have subscribed to a couple more equipment things, but I didn't – really find anything at least in the upper search parameters that i was looking for and so i was like hmm. i was a little i was disappointed by that and then i had some thoughts for myself and i'm sort of bouncing this out to you guys uh you know maybe his opinion you know tag you know talk to me about this if you got ideas but you know i Part of what I want to do is build up this little, you know, I got this podcast thing that I want to do. And I like, I love teaching photography. I love talking about photography. And, you know, I'm not a big gear guy. I like talking about it now and then, but I'm not the kind of person who wants to sit there and review review equipment. I've done it a couple of times, but I don't really have the, you know, I don't know, the stick to to go through and, and talk about every little thing about something and, you know, make a video of it and put it on there and, and compete with all the other people. Um, but I do kind of want to get involved in video. A, I, I like shooting video and it's really kind of fun to, I, what I've been noticing, at least for myself while I was viewing, while I'm, uh, you know, subscribing to these YouTube videos 
is that especially some of the food channels i'm actually watching this one uh food yeah this one called um sous vide everything sous vide is a type of uh cooking where you put you immerse the food in a uh, vacuum sealed bag into water uh, some of you may know that some of you may not but i found this one channel with this guy uh he's in florida his name is guga and he's got sous vide everything and i've been watching this show uh actually my wife and i um binged it uh shoot new year's day i think we on uh, new year's day we just sat or one of the holidays sat there and i just watched you know, uh, show after show after show. And what I enjoyed about it was this guy was, you know, showing us how to cook sous vide, uh, lots of steaks and, uh, and boy, <laughs> sorry for the, excuse me for vegans and vegetarians, but these, the, the sous vide steaks are just, uh, they're fantastic. And I'm watching him, we're watching him do this stuff. But what I was getting from the video, from the videos he was doing is I felt very connected to this guy in some way. Uh, and he was very genuine. Now, you know, I don't know this guy from anybody, but, you know, sometimes you can kind of you get an intuitiveness from from what you're watching, you know, from all these people who are doing YouTube stuff. And, and I got a, I got a sense he was very real and I really enjoyed that. And uh, where I was going with this, I, it was giving me thoughts about like, OK, well, what would it be like if I did my own, you know, YouTube channel? And again, late to the party if I do this. But you know what? Maybe not, you know, because. Uh, what's nice about these things like the, this podcast and, and uh, you know, YouTube and whatever the different mediums are is that there's always a niche audience for what, you know, um, you want to talk about, what you want to hear, what you want to see. And, you know, I don't, nobody needs like millions of viewers, you know, some people do, but I mean, like you don't need millions of viewers. If you have a good handful of people who are interested in what you're talking about, interested in how you say things, you know, then you got an audience, you know? And so I thought, okay, well, you know, I, I've noticed my podcast isn't like one of the top, although I did get mentioned once by some uh, education site. It was like one of the um, top, not the top 10 podcasts they mentioned, but I was like in the runner ups and I was actually higher than Petapixel and their, and their podcast and a couple of others. I was like really surprised by, it. but anyway, um, you know, not out to make, uh, you know, to feed an ego or something like that and have millions of people watching me and stuff like that. But there's also this thing of like, well, you know, if I could also just create my own business, you know, it's one of the things I would like to do if I can get myself organized a little bit more. But, you know, YouTube is one of those ways to do it. There's podcasting and there's YouTube. And could I actually do a YouTube channel where I have something to say? And would it be different than everybody else, uh, or at least different enough that I would get some people watching, you know, and I wouldn't be competing with all the other people. But again, you know, late to the party, there's millions of YouTubers out there and it's, there's nothing new about this, but I've got the interest in doing it and seeing how, how I can do it. So, you know, part of what I'm trying to figure out is like, well, okay, what, what can I bring to the party that's new? Um, but then, you know, I was, like I said, I was searching around and, and I didn't see anything about some criticals talking about photography. Now, of course, part of the issues with this, like, say I wanted to talk about, you know, Lartigue on a, on a podcast, I mean, on a, a YouTube channel. Uh, what would be the copyright rules about that? Can I show the pictures from the book? Can I can I can I talk about it? Can I be critical about the, the work? Is that fair use? And so that's kind of the things I'm sort of looking around to to, to figure out. But like I had this idea, I mean, I, I could certainly talk about my pictures and be critical of my pictures or, or talk about that. But I don't know if I'd want to do a whole channel devoted to looking at my work because I really don't care. <laughs> that's going to 
that's a little insane. I mean, I know there wouldn't be a copyright issue. My stuff, I can talk about it. And maybe I would talk about one, you know, once in a while my stuff, but it's not it's not where I'd want to go with this. I had this idea of, you know, maybe calling the channel through the loop or something like that cuz uh, when you used to look at slides or negatives, you used to have a magnifier and they were called loops. And uh, you know, I I don't think any, I don't know if anybody has done this. And of course, I'm telling all of you guys when someone else beats me to the punch and comes out with a podcast or a YouTube channel called Through the Loop. That'd be kind of funny. Um, geez, sorry, I've been talking 20 minutes already. I want to get to the other show. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up. But anyway, my thought was to like go to, you know, and, and start my own YouTube and try to figure out what to do. So if anybody has any thoughts uh, knowing me and knowing you guys know me from this show and, you know, maybe photography, if you have any thoughts about what would be interesting and doable on YouTube where you'd probably want to see my face uh, for like 10 minutes or, you know, my face in pictures or, or whatever, drop me a line. I'm really curious, um, you know, give you credit for the ideas, <laughs> but I'm sort of like trying to figure this out myself. And I realized, well, you know what, maybe I don't have to figure it all myself. Maybe someone has got an idea that I can run with. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're willing to share it with me, you know, I, I would appreciate it. But, but I'm just trying to think about this out loud and you guys listen to me and you're listening to me now. And, and, uh, Anyway, um, just just a thought, but uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to necessarily compete with everybody. I don't mind talking about equipment sometimes, but I'm not as thorough as the, so many of these other people. And, you know, you, you flip on the YouTube channel and there's like 20 people already talking about the X-T4. It just came out Tuesday, I think. And already like, you know, there's 40 videos about it and like, OK, well, what, you know, not that's. Fuji's never going to send me a camera and I'm not, you know, what am I going to do with it? And what am I going to say that's different from all these people? So I'd rather approach uh, a YouTube channel from, um, you know, in in the kind of the way I've been doing this podcast, but do it in a visual way, you know, and, and certainly make it shorter. But, you know, maybe add that to the, you know, panoply of stuff that I, I can do and offer for everybody, you know, besides the uh, teaching. Anyway, I'm just going on about this. Um that being said, uh, I'm going to just lead you into, this is, uh, I don't remember the episode number, but it's from April 29th of last year. It's me and Ward Rossen uh, doing a deep dive on uh, Jacques-Henri Lartigue, and uh, I hope you enjoy it again, if you, if you haven't heard it before, but uh, uh, here it is. I have uh, a special guest with me t- tonight, my friend Ward Rosen. Hi, Ward. Hi. Maybe I'm not that special. Well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> just, you're very special. Oh, great. <laughs> I didn't want to get too much into an intro because I want to talk, I don't want to spend more time talking, but basically I, I asked Ward to join me tonight because I wanted to do something on this show that I haven't, I don't think I've done I might have done in like sort of my own like walking meditations and talking episodes, but sort of a deep dive on a photographer. And I've done something like this similar on uh, Shutter Time with Mac, uh, Sid and Mac. I think it was only with Mac. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it a little bit differently, but I really wanted to just talk about, I, th- I want to talk about photographers that I think people should, or at least people who are listening to this show, should know about, or at least hear about what I think of this photographer and maybe what you think and whoever is on the show but absolutely uh, and so uh thanks for joining me on this first version of this war yeah my pleasure my pleasure yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I decided, I decided, I decided, it's my show. <laughs> That's right. I wanted to talk about a photographer. His name is Jacques-Henri Lartigue, and I probably butchered that, but... Yeah, um, we do our best. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to, exp you know, dive into this photographer a little bit and hopefully get the uh, audience, you guys in the audience, to appreciate and maybe go out and seek the, his work out and uh, maybe fall in love with it like me and Ward have, so... Uh, sure. But Ward, thank you for helping me with this. No, it's not no problem at all. And um, and, and I, I picked you, Ward, picked you, but I asked you because I know you have a pretty extensive knowledge of photographers. Well, I like to think that. Yeah, well, you hang out in a place <laughs> called the camera store, right? Yeah, yeah. well, you, you know, you'll find, you'll find holes in the knowledge. There's plenty, plenty to miss there, I'm sure. Yeah. But. Yeah, Lartigue. Uh, and another reason for us to talk about him, get other people interested, is that uh, there are more of us to be able to talk about guys like him, mm -hmm. um, because he's definitely worth uh, he's worth the time. And uh, there's a there's a kind of a glow around him. Uh, he he was a kind of a one of a kind. His background really set him up All for right. well, some of the stuff. Yeah. So does. I'm going to come out and be honest with you about this. <laughs> like, this guy has not been on my radar for a very very long time. And he was on my radar in college. Mm -hmm. And what got me into at least one of his pictures was, um, and it was probably a f history of photography class that I was taking, and we probably had to write essays on him. Mm -hmm. And there was one picture, it might have been in my um, photography history book, the, the History of Photography by Beaumont Newhall. Beaumont Newhall, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I still have, by the way. It was my text, and I think it was my second year in college, and the thing was so dense, I just couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't get through it. It was just like, you know. He's a filmmaker, too. He did lots of yeah. Uh, films, yeah. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk about him at some point in the future. Sure. But in, I, I'm pretty sure in that book there's a shot of Lartigue's of a, of a race car. And what's unique about this image is that the, the picture is very distorted. And the race car is sort of bent uh, and speeding off the frame to the right. And the spectators are bent and leaning off to the left. And for some reason, I remember it striking me uh, as something. And then I think when we had to write an essay, I chose that picture. And I have no idea what I wrote about it. Mm -hmm. And I must have it someplace in my house someplace, I hope. Uh, maybe I'll find it one day and, and dig it up and, and see what it says. It's probably ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, he's been on my radar for a while. And I don't follow that many photographers from the past all the time. And I've just started getting into it since I've been doing the podcast and just sort of getting my own book collection. And then yeah. recently I subscribed to, I found this podcast, uh, sorry, a, a YouTube channel by this guy, Ted Forbes, called The Art mm -hmm. of Photography. Yeah, he does a lot and of I, good stuff. Do you subscribe to him? I sure do, yeah. Yeah, I, I've only listened to a three, maybe three or four episodes, uh, and I found them quite, I, I really liked them. So, and he brought up a color book from Lartigue, which I had no idea that mm -hmm. Lartigue was shooting color. Uh, and so that sort of got me sparked into it again. I immediately bought this book uh, from Amazon called the uh, Lartigue Life and Color. Life I think and it's color, a, yeah. yeah, it was a catalog from a show, I believe. Uh, you know, after reading, listening to the uh, YouTube channel and looking and, and p buying this book, which was ridiculously cheap, it was you know twenty four dollars on Amazon, and that mm -hmm. was like a no brainer to buy. Uh, I, I bought it and I, I, I you know did my reading. Uh, at least about his color work. And, and suddenly it was like, wow, where was this guy? And and then I'm digging back into the past and looking at all of his black was, and white work. Yep. No, and, he's uh, uh, he's something. 
Yeah. Well, tell me, how did you uh, how did you find him? Well, I I'm kind of like a broken record because I talk about my my first exposure to photography education being the Time Life Library of Photography that oh, my yeah, mother those, my yeah. mother got me when I was 11 and they're these big I don't know, 12 inch by 12 inch silver volumes, and they're all about three quarters of an inch or half an inch thick. Did you get them like once a month? Once a month, yeah, I got them, and I couldn't wait to get the next one and the next one. And Lartigue, that same Lartigue picture that you have, or that you uh, that you were talking about, I had too, and it went into the theory of how that particular image was created. Mm-hmm. And I did, you know, as a kid, I didn't do much research, but I knew the name Lartigue, and I associated. Uh, him with that image and then as I you know grew up and had a dark room and all that kind of stuff then I would find you know there was a book uh, that came out I think in the 60s or 70s that I saw and when the web came it was it was great because there are all these uh, older images and he's revered in France where he's where he was born and the the museums and and the French government um, hold him in high esteem and they display his work Uh and it's on the web and it's uh, it's there for everybody to enjoy now yeah. Uh, so that was that was my exposure to Lartigue, and but like you, the the color book, I had no idea about until I saw the volume in the in the camera store. Now you were saying uh, off air that we that you it came out quite a while ago, right? That color book. Well, hang on. Or did I it? I say quite a while. Let me, let me just look. No, it's not that long ago. Okay. I'm looking at the the book was published. Uh, the book accompanies the exhibi- uh, exhibition organized at the uh, museum in Paris uh, from June 24th to August 23rd, 2015. Okay. So not that long ago. I'm sorry. But, I mean, it's, you know, I, that's yeah. already four years ago. Yeah. In, well, in yeah, way. time flies for sure. Yeah. As I started to do more research uh, in him, specifically for this show, because believe me, I didn't know anything about him uh, except what I read in the color book. Mm. Uh, and I started to look at his work and realized the dude liked speed <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well first of all the, i want to go back to that picture again the the one that that we're both talking about the race yeah. car picture he took that when he was 18 mm-hmm. and uh, i want to get a little geeky here for a second because part of the the strength of that picture is the distortions in mm-hmm. it and i think when he took the picture i don't know if he was doing it for if he was working for a magazine or he wanted to publish it but uh, I don't think the picture went over too well because of the distortions. Oh, he was disappointed. I read that he was he very was disappointed. disappointed in himself, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Take I can it. imagine, you know, like you're exploring this relatively new technology, these cameras and stuff like that, and, you, and you're trying to record reality, and you get this thing that comes out distorted, you know, yeah. and it must be, I could see it being a disappointment. And then, you know, add on, you know, 70 years, 60 years as we're all starting to look at his work, and we're like, whoa, that's genius. Yeah. <laughs> He's and like, you know what? I, I wonder if it's if that leaning forward wheel is uh, ended up being uh, an inspiration to cartoonists, because oh. when you see when you see those cars or you wow. see some animation, right, the car is right. leaning forward and the wheels dr- drawn as an oval. And I'm just wondering if this unintentionally became a symbol of speed uh, oh for the gosh. for the last century. Right. That. Oh, uh, you yeah. know what? I. I would probably put money on that. One cartoonist saw that and said, oh, this is how I'm going to do this. And then someone else followed it. And yeah. wow, that, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's definitely, it's a symbol of speed. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. So the technical part of it that I learned is just because he was 
doing a slightly long exposure uh, or using slow film, and, and he was panning the camera while mm -hmm. the car was moving. And the kind of shutter, it's a, I think it was a leaf shutter, in that camera had a little, traveled from the bottom of the film to the top. Right. And there was a little slot in it, a, a mm -hmm. slit, and that's how it, it exposed the film. And I'll put a link in the show notes. So someone actually wrote it, uh, made an animation of how that would work. But once you see the physics of it, how the how the motion of the camera and the way the car was moving and the way the shutter was moving, you can see how the distortion was created. Yeah. And today, what's very similar, it, you know, the quick example is that a rolling shutter. And a lot mm -hmm. of the cameras now they're using, or like cell phone cameras or even mirrorless cameras, if, if you wave your camera left and right too fast, you'll get what someone calls a jelly cam. Yeah. <laughs> Things look yeah. like jello, yeah. but because the sensor is acting in a similar way, it's scanning from top to bottom, I think it's top to bottom on a sensor, that you get that same kind of effect if you, if you move your camera too fast, especially with the older cameras. I think newer cameras, newer digital cameras have software that tries to compensate for that. Um, right. I don't think it can fix it completely, but it's very similar. So I remember when I got my first digital camera and, or maybe not my first digital camera, but when I first started noticing rolling shutter, I was like, oh, this is Lartigue. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is our version of Lartigue. But anyway, that's the geeky part. I don't want to get too geeky about this. But okay. I, I mean, just discovering the technology and going back to what the camera was capable of and this disappointment slash discovery that he had, is a pretty good pan. Like I do some motorsport photography myself and you know, the flex and the d imperfections and the rivets on the car mm -hmm. and the tread on the tires, uh, that are strapped to the back of the car, relatively sharp. So, uh, in terms of like my understanding of shooting motorsports, it's, it was a good pan. Like he got the subject to hold still while he was panning. Do you um, think he was the, I mean, this is kind of a stretch, but do you think he's one of the first to actually, to do that, to be actually panning the camera while things were moving, or I mean, someone must have done that before. Yeah, possibly, but. but he's the first, you know, one that we know of of any notoriety. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to live with that. Yeah, let's put it. Let's put that on our. Yeah, on our... Well, let's say it's all. It's all about Lartigue. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm going through, so I'm going through his pictures, right? First of all, he's got the black and white and the color, and they're they're kind of, you know, related and they're different. But the black and white. Well, let me stop for a second before we go into the pictures. Yep. One of the things I got into, and I think you will probably resonate with this, was this guy got into photography at a young age. Really young. Like really insanely young. young. Yeah. And his dad, you know, he was in a rich family, right? Mm -hmm. And his dad was able to buy him camera gear, uh, or at least he was able to own this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think of myself. I mean, I wasn't growing up in a rich family, but like, you know, I had a camera. My, you know, I got him young, and I'm sure you did too. Yeah, right? 11. I was 11. 11, right. right. I, yeah. And uh, I must, I think, I'm going to go a little earlier there. How, how, what grade are you in 11th grade? I mean, 11. Uh, uh, 11 years old, I would have been in uh, going into the sixth grade. Oh, so you and me are about, we're, we're roughly the same age. Yeah. And I think that was about the time when I got my first camera, it was a Polaroid camera, Polaroid land camera. Okay. Uh, I didn't have Polaroids till uh, seventh grade. Wow. So, <laughs> and I still, I still have a couple of them. <laughs> really? Well, you yeah. have to share some pictures of that with me. I got to oh. see those things. <laughs> well, I, I somehow or other, I have a first generation uh, tan colored SX70. It's so beautiful. Oh, oh really? Does it still work? Yeah. 
yeah, it still works, but I can't find it. I hid it away somewhere. Oh no! And then I got the Sonar One Step One, which was the not the One Step. I think they call what they call it. It's the black version of the same camera that has the sonar. It's still the folding version, yeah, yeah. but it has the sonar um, autofocus. with the big, the big dish in front of it. The, the big gold, gold thing. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I still have that one. You know, he's when I started looking at his stuff, and I'm realizing he's like kind of taking the same kind of pictures that I did when mm. I was a kid, like my first pictures. Like the first shot that I, when I did the Google search, one of the first shots that popped up was this cat, this black cat in midair doing, yeah. grabbing something you know, <laughs> or trying to grab something. And it's a cat, right? It's a cat. <laughs> it's a cat. Tr- trust you to find a cat picture. I know. <laughs> trust me, in the day of the, in the age of internet, looking yeah. at Lartigue from uh, who knows what, what, I can't remember what year this is, but it's certainly, yeah. you know. The teens, it'd be in the teens somewhere, I'm sure, yeah, if he yeah. shot it when he was a kid. Right. It's a shot of this cat in midair flying. So I, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is. You know, I'm with this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I think he's. You know, I'm I'm attached to cats, so I'm taking pictures of like my cats. I think this guy's yeah. attached to motion. Yeah, and and exploring stuff. Of course, for him, photography is young back then, and the camera gear is you know relatively you know primitive. It's not the right word, but you know what I mean. It's yeah. It was well the the what do you want to call it? The hobby. The yeah. The method of expression was still sort of. No, I guess. At least action photography. This would the the cameras that he was using were kind of the first that were capable of capturing it. So in that way, he's a a real pioneer. I mean, even as a kid. And what kind of camera do you know? What he might have well, been using? Well, he stop had action? to stop action. I think he might have been. I mean, the cat picture I'd imagine would be taken with that box brownie that he had. Oh, he's right. He had a brownie, right? He had a brownie. He got well. He got well. We start from the beginning. The first camera he got is what I would call a banquet camera, a very large glass plate camera that would be, you know, twelve inches by eighteen inch glass mm-hmm. plate. And the story is, is that it was so big that he had to stand on a stool to operate it. <laughs> And I figured... How cute is that? <laughs> that would be... Yeah, okay, everyone line up here. We're going to expose a glass plate with a mm-hmm. seven-year-old kid shooting. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if that didn't go over so well. The next year, I think for his birthday, he got a Kodak Brownie. Kodak Brownie. And yeah. But that was the camera that... The, do they already pre-fill that with film and then you would send the camera? No, I think the Brownie... That was just called the Kodak. Someone will probably probably get after me but yeah. i think oh. starting with the the number one's a number maybe the number one was the one that had the hundred roll or the hundred image roll right. i think you, the number two had one like 120 film or yeah, and you would, would fill that yourself oh. yeah you would okay. and you would get they'd be six by nine negative you'd get wow. yeah. you well know, you know nice i'm looking big, at the shot it looks like it was i mean it, it's sharp you know the cat is frozen in midair it could have been taken today i think you know yeah. And, you know, he took it as a kid. And so, it, again, I'm going, as I go through the work, and, you know, the way Google sort of throws everything on the screen, it's all yeah. kind of not in any order. But, you know, a, a shot of a woman jumping down some stairs and she's caught. Yeah, that one is amazing. It looks like she's going to go down on her head. You know, she's moving right, so a... swiftly <laughs> that it's like, and she's like a foot and a half above the stairs. It's like she was going down three steps right. at and, a time. And she's in this Victorian dress, right? Yeah. With these puffy sleeves and this like kind of, I don't know how she's going to, I don't know how she's going to do it. We don't know the end of that picture. Yeah, we, we, yeah we don't know. And it's gravel at the bottom of those steps. And yeah, yeah. she's going to miss the welcome at and everything. She's just, she's going down. Oh, but yeah. I mean, 
what's unusual and special about that picture in particular and some of the other ones of women that he shot in that era is you don't see this kind of life and vibrancy in uh, the people uh, or in photography uh, or a painting or anything in, in that age, in that right. era. Nobody's smiling back then in, in paintings. No. And... <laughs> no, and, you, and it, like the cat picture, it feels very modern. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, no, we, you know, we dressed up in these Victorian things and we took pictures of us uh, messing around, you know, jumping around the, mm-hmm. the, you know, at the mansion or whatever. And this is what this looks like. It's a living thing. It's in a, in a way, it's sort of timeless. In some way, I mean, I hate to say this, well, maybe I don't really hate to say it, but I mean, there are snapshots of life behind the scenes, behind, you know, you know, the backyard where, you know, people let themselves loose a little bit, you know, and uh, it's very refreshing to see these pictures because, you know, my, I can see the idea of like, you know, that time period is, you know, we have these paintings and, 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 uh, you know, formal portraits of people and everybody was really dour and, you know, and black and white doesn't really help that, you know, it makes no. <laughs> are you gray? Or are you more gray or less gray? You know? right, everybody looks just old and, and yeah. bothered, you know. Yeah. And anytime I see photographs like this, uh, it it just tickles me, you know. And it and, yeah. it and it reminds me that people are people today, and they were people then. Yeah, you know. And uh, you know, we all put on our sort of formal faces, and then we have our we have our good times and yeah. and whatnot. So. Uh, I mean, a couple of the other, I mean, I just grabbed a whole bunch of shots and I'm not sure if I can put all these in the show notes because I don't know what the restrictions are, but I'll probably put a few in there. People in a go-kart spinning out, you know, in a dirt field. That is cool. That's insane. (laughs) It's like, there's something crazy about it. And and they look so casual. That's the thing is like their faces are, are, you know, this, this guy is driving. It looks like this flatbed something yeah it looks really it looks fun whatever it is yeah i mean let's do that i don't know if it has an engine on it i think these were go-karts so somehow they must have been pushed or maybe go down a hill or something like that yeah and he's spinning out in this dirt field and the woman next to him she's just sort of making a like a face but what's great about it is the action is stopped yeah you know all the gravel's Um, up in the air and it's frozen Yeah. yeah and uh i mean he has got a lot of racing cars he's got another shot of a of a woman in what also is a go-kart wiping out and she's smiling as she's doing it. Yeah, like, she couldn't make the corner. She was afraid she was going to go spearing off into the creek bed there, it looks yeah. like. And she decided to maybe to bail. So I wonder what really drew him to, I mean, you take pictures, you like pictures of uh, uh, automobiles. I know you photographed yeah. them. And, and the uh, book you did on the, on the um, uh, rodeo. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of action pictures. What to maybe understand him a little bit? Maybe I can understand you a little bit. Like, what drew you to the action? What's the what's well, the goal? In freezing action, you are um, there's an experience of speed when you're in the middle of it, and then there's uh, an experience for a viewer capturing it. And what's interesting about Lartigue and what you know we're talking about panning the camera and that sort of thing. My favorite pictures of race cars are that I've that I've taken at least in when they're on the track is to pan them and have a slow enough shutter speed that the background is blurred and the car is sharp mm-hmm. because if you have a high shutter speed, then it freezes and then you have, there's no life in it at all. Right. It's, just uh, a, it's like it's parked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah. car could just be yeah. parked and the wheels aren't blurred spinning and all that sort of thing. 
what Lartigue is doing for us here is he he probably doesn't have a range of shutter speeds. I mean, I don't know if it was taken with his Graflex or his ICA reflex camera. He does have, in fact, I think the ICA even in the old days it had a shutter speed of a, th- a high shutter speed of a thousandth of a second because really? it had such a, a narrow slit. Yeah, if you look up the ICA camera company from Germany, uh-huh. they had in the tens, uh, the teens, and the twenties, they had a huge myriad of different kind of cameras up to those giant banquet cameras down to these tiny what became 35 millimeters so it, it's very cool so but what anyway i'm i'm digressing well wait one but, second but as long as you digress for a second why do they call it a banquet camera they used it in formal locations like in halls and banquets oh. it was not it it was on a, a, a an usually it was put on an oak table sort of mm-hmm. like you know those oak dinner sets that you can buy you know that's I don't know, for your kitchen or whatever, this yeah, giant, yeah. Uh, that line, giant oak table and the camera would be either built into it or really? put it up, <laughs> okay. put, you know, the, 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 the table came with the camera cause it was so big <laughs> and heavy and you would, you know, it's, it's not really appropriate, but you know, the movie, the shining where the photographer is taking a picture of the whole group of people in that banquet at that hotel, the right, overlook right, right. hotel. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was taken with this giant, view camera and that's basically what they called them it was a colloquial term that's my understanding of what the banco camera was just a large a large view camera that that sits on a table and takes yeah and you could jack it up or attach it to something else but typically they were down at you know a table level or above or you know you could elevate it and shoot large groups and in halls and things so what were, where were, where were we? Uh, where were we? We're talking about <laughs> oh about Lartigue and and what I like Emotion. about the the go kart. Let's yeah. just talk for a second. Uh, continue talking about the go kart picture. He he has frozen everything uh-huh. in that image, so there's no panning like there was in that Grand Prix picture. That other picture, the first one we were talking about. Here he he has frozen everything, but there's so much going on with the gravel and dirt being spun up and the Mm -hmm. expressions on everyone's face. And there's three uh, women off to the side that are watching this spectacle. And there's all there's definitely a feeling like this car is moving is certainly not parked. Right. Because of the action. I mean, there's there's stuff going on when you were talking about before is like you can. When you photograph something like, say, a race car or even like a football player, they, they're frozen in time. Yeah. They can look like a statue or, you know, yeah. like you said, parked and stuff like that. And you don't really get a, any sense of speed, although maybe that's not the point of the picture. The point of right. the picture is like what this being or, or machine it looks like and what it's doing. Yeah. But th- he's sort of combining them in this in this kind of shot where he's getting the... You said the gravel coming up and the, the even just their faces. Yeah, their they're reactions. grimacing a little bit. Yeah. He, he's busy driving. She's kind of she's probably holding holding on to her seat. You know, they wouldn't have seat belts. <laughs> I doubt I doubt they'd have seat belts in those days. And she's just hanging on to the seat, and she looks like she's sort of enjoying it. I think yeah. it's sort of like mother, it's your turn. Come on, let's go. Right. You know. Well, the thing is, you know, the I mean, to go back to this for a second, this go kart shot. You know, he's wearing not a tuxedo, but he's got a bow tie on and a yeah. You know, very pro- everybody's dressed very proper and the two things yeah. don't seem to go together <laughs> no like, this is the kind of thing like kids wear short pants and baseball hats and they grab a go-kart and they you know fly yeah. down the hill and they look you know stupid and these are very proper people sitting upright and they have good yeah. posture yeah <laughs> <And> they're about <laughs> to wipe out very important yeah and so you know i go through all the shots or a lot of the black and white not every black and white but you know oh yeah. he loved to capture pictures of flying things that were flying and mm. he was 
at the time when flight was just sort of starting and uh and he was in france too so there was a lot of uh people playing around with flying instruments then and uh and kites too he took uh pictures of kiting competitions too did he i haven't seen any of those shots yeah yeah Um, well it's in his bio i haven't i think i might i might have seen one picture of kites but well he's got this one shot of a glider I think it's a glider, and it looks like um, it's. Uh, he, and there's two guys holding on to it, or at least one guy holding on to it, and another guy like trying to support the wings. And then in the foreground, there's some other guy with a rope attached to it, pulling it, probably pulling yeah. it into the wind. Yeah. Uh, and this thing is airborne. Uh, it's yeah. in the picture. It's a beautiful picture. I know. It's it is very such cool. a nice picture. The composition in this. I mean, it's just this thing that happened, right? I mean, he's there with whatever camera he's got. He loves to watch people flying. And the guy in the, in the foreground on the right, the, the, the vision of the ground to sky is, you know, one third to two thirds. It feels very natural. Yeah. This, um, glider is at an angle to the ground, maybe even like, you know, 30 degrees or something like that. Yeah. And then these other little people, these little dots of people around it's just a beautiful composition and actually the more i look at it the more it just strikes me at how beautiful it is yeah uh and the texture of the grass the, the grass is the grass. rendered yeah it's all like it's a very natural you could smell the wind in the air you know like you could you could you know the you know the grass and that it's just a very live and that's that's you know we could say that's lartigue like he captures not only captures a moment but there's a real uh, immediate feeling again the timelessness of it right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it seems like all pictures of gliders and airplanes in that era seem to be canted at that angle it's just <laughs> they're either just about to take the, off or they're just the, about to crash the native instability that they have right <laughs> there's a but there's a and, and that's not the right word not whimsy there's a and you you gave me that word <laughs> recently i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay it's but one like of my it. the words i don't like that's fine. It's a, but there's something about it. There's a, I mean, a playfulness is the only other thing I'm coming across. Like yeah. there's nothing very serious about this. I mean, it, no. these guys with a glider, and you know, and people are just hanging out, and this guy's pulling it, and I mean, I'm, you know, I might be reading too much into this picture. I don't know if this is not the first flight. This is not like a historic picture of a, you know, apparently people had gliders for a very long time. You know, so yeah. this is nothing new. But and maybe this is something rich people did. I mean, he was not. You know, he was well-to-do, so I think he hung out yeah. mostly with people of his upbringing. His class, yeah. His class, yeah. You know, this is what rich people did when they were bored, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's something that strikes me about this, too, is uh, the the person who's holding on, like, it's like you'd call him the pilot, he's... Mm-hmm. Uh, He's hanging off this device, and his 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 legs are kind of all akimbo, like he's just finished running or something. I don't know, and and he's hanging from the thing. And then there's another guy kind of holding the wing down, right, or getting ready to launch it. I have to think that the pilot would be pretty scared if, he's, <laughs> if he ends up getting twenty or thirty feet in the air. Right, I, 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 out how to get down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> If he gets a good wind blast, then what's going to happen, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. You know, I, I look at the even his color and his black and white, or at least the, the younger stuff, like the stuff that wasn't so posed. And it and yeah. it really gets a sense of, like, this is what we're doing today. This is what this is what everybody's been doing with cameras forever, you know? Yeah. And he may not have been the first one, but he's certainly one that has the name to say, you know, look at, look at what we can do with cameras. It's not just about this formal 
thing no. that we do with it, and it doesn't have to be static, right? No. We can move around and we can have fun. And so it's just looking at his work. It just made me, uh, I think if people go and investigate his work, they're, they're just going to be so happy. Um, yeah. About, about seeing his uh, pictures. But anyway, I wanted to go back. I, th- I think I sidetracked for a second, but I wanted to ask you, I don't think I quite got the answer. Like, what is your appeal about photographing things that move fast? Rather than just the process of it, what, what is it that turns you on about it? Well, it's time and space and location and all that kind of stuff. When we did the rodeo book with Mark, I don't want to talk about it too much because I, I always seem to talk end up going back to that. But it 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 was a commemoration of an event, and it mm-hmm. was a, a, a three-day period in time. So the whole book represented that three-day period. Mm-hmm. Individual photographs represent, you know, the time period that the shutter was open. Right. Um, okay. And uh, when I shoot auto racing, you know, the cars are different year to year, so... Part of it is a catalog or a history or a, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? And an example of what the car looked like on that date at that racetrack mm-hmm. and so on. And so there's a kind of an archive uh, aspect to it. Uh, there's a historical aspect to it, like this is the car that won and so on. And so there's that kind of abstract other value of of photograph of the photographs that have nothing to do with the actual properties of the photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the time that the shutter is open and the, and the, the, you know, you take a picture of the car, it's a different experience of looking at the car in a photograph. If, if it's really well done, the photograph can stand on its own as a representation of the car when it right. was on the track. Right. When you're at the racetrack, you're watching it, you're in a dynamic moving system of the race itself or the race weekend where, you know, I really like that car, but it's a moving thing. It's a, it's a, a more ethereal and you, mm-hmm. you take away memories uh, of the races as them moving around the track. And then when I do the still photography, I'm trying to create something that is, that is a representation of individual cars or a group of cars, whatever, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. and then present them as a separate, as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Is there is there anything about the challenge of trying to capture something moving? Um, like, there is some challenge to it, even if you've, you've done it for a while. Yeah, there's definitely practice involved. And also um, auto races in particular, because of the way racing is now, auto racing is now, Everyone takes the same line on the track because right, right. there's the fastest way to get around. They're always going to be in the same place. Uh, and it can get very boring. You have to, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I missed him this time. Well, he'll be around in another one one minute and 43 seconds. So, <laughs> right, so you, can get- you know, I'll wait till he comes back around and it'll be all good. Right. Uh, so there's that. So you, you need to find, and part of the challenge is you get those shots that you want to get of the, the actual profile of the car and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then it's like finding different angles. Can I get above the track and shoot down at it? Uh, can I shoot behind it? Yeah. Can I take a creative picture of the cars while they're parked getting ready to go out on the track and all that kind of stuff and that just kind of feeds into the experience of being on the race weekend in a still you know in still photography and people do videos and things like that yeah. so it's a different deal well but, the videos are capturing everything and not really yeah a moment and stuff like that but yeah part of it for me i mean i i don't do that i don't photograph races or anything like that well, i'd love to do that though i mean there's you know someday i'd like to get yeah. myself onto a track or or something. If it's like a horse race or a you mm-hmm. know um, 
drag race. I don't know. Anything with moving things really fast. It'd be really, I know I would not do really well because <laughs> you need practice to do this. You need to be yeah, able but, to. Yeah, but the cars go by every minute and 43 seconds. So well, that's <laughs> you could true. practice. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, going back to his time, he, you know, thinking of the, of that race with the, the shot with the, with the distorted yeah. wheel, maybe it wasn't quite the same, you know? I mean, I, I got to imagine the thrill then. Uh, not to mention, first of all, the thrill of being at a racetrack, photographing things that are moving fast, which, yeah. you know, you're in the early turn of the, the early 20th century. Yeah. Things generally didn't move that fast. Nope. Right. So not, not like an ocean parkway here, which is starting to, turn, starting to turn into a drag racing. Oh, I could go down there and I could, I could photograph. Well, there is that. And I'm sure they would really appreciate you taking pictures yeah, of them sure. speeding. I'm <laughs> just, just. I won't get into that. Don't make me crazy. <laughs> but so he's in a time period where racing is probably new, right? Those guys yeah. are wearing leather helmets. They're, they were nuts. Anyway, we'll yeah. get into that. They're still, and in a lot of ways, they're still nuts, they're even still though nuts, the cars are a guys, lot safer. But yeah. Those guys. Anyway, and, and then he's he, top on top of that, the photography aspect, which is also kind of new. I mean, he's young yeah. and stuff like that. And so there's this got to be this doubly, triply excitement kind of thing. You know, yeah. someone's driving by. I got this thing called a camera. I'm shooting it. I caught him. Oh, it's all distorted, but yeah. <laughs> it's like I still got yeah. it. So I was going to say my one my one experience trying to capture things that were moving very fast was at an airfield in Holland. Um, oh. uh, actually, it was during the time that the Clinton administration was launching um, the stealth fighters at Yugoslavia to help give um, uh, what side some help. And I'm, I lost track of the sides on that war. But I was in this, I was... Uh, at this airfield and there were stealth fighters and F-16s and uh, Hercules aircraft taking off. And I was at the end of the runway cause it was a road wow. and it was perpendicular yeah. to the, and they would close the, the road off. And there was all these other guys, all these other, you know, geeky plane guys yeah. there with binoculars and cameras. And I came in, I came in with this, with this Nikon 500 millimeter F4 <laughs> lens, which was humongous. It was, most there's a guy who's compensating for something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And everyone was like, oh, can we see? Can we see? And it was really cool is that the planes were coming right at us, right? Yeah. And so I did get time to to photograph them because they were coming at me. So they had some yeah. time. But when they crossed above me, all, all bets were off because they were going, by that time, they were going way too fast. Oh, yeah. Uh, even just taking off. And uh, most of my uh, frames were just like, there's just like the tail of the, the stealth fighter in the shot because I missed it because it was moving too fast. Right. And I realized how much sort of practice a need to be able to like anticipate where things are going to go and, and, yeah. and understand the speed. And so I just, I'm imagining him how much more difficult it was. And well, actually I was shooting with a film camera. So, you know, I didn't know what the shots were either. Right. Uh, today is easier with digital because then you can instantly get feedback and know what you're doing. But back then I wouldn't know how long he had to wait to get his pictures uh, to yeah. find out whether or not he got the shot. So. You know, and just thinking about, or kind of changing the subject here yeah, about sure. his, the way he captures life and how how vibrant. Uh, I keep using that word, but it's just that it's got this this living. They have these living qualities about the most of these images, and I'm just wondering if it was his exposure to and and practice to um, 
to photography at an early age, he wasn't he wasn't saddled with limitations of seeing other one other some others others work mm-hmm. or being mm-hmm. tutored or anything like that. He didn't he didn't know that you couldn't take pictures of the of you know his sisters and his aunts doing somersaults in the garden. You know, like those pictures are amazing. Or his was it his father w- went out in a wader into into a pond or something. There's a there's an image of that of his dad out out in the middle of the water like this is crazy stuff like <laughs> who who takes pictures of this but I'm happy and thankful that we have them because it was like oh this is what life is like this is what middle class or upper class folks did on the weekend during the summertime and I don't know of anybody I haven't seen pictures like that anywhere else there's one shot I wouldn't say it's particularly uh, remarkable but it it grabbed me uh, a shot of two people uh, I don't know if they're sitting in something. Um, one's a, like in a, a car? It looks like it, it could be a car. There's a, a man with goggles on and glasses, and he's smiling. And the yeah. woman to his right, or to our right, our right yeah. is cracking up, and there's mountains in the background. And yeah. again, it's framed. They're at the bottom of the frame. There's some mountains in the sky that's kind of washed out. Yeah. And I looked at this shot, and I was like, this was this is what you're talking about, This this moment in time yeah. people who are probably very you know proper and stuff like that cracking up about something and he's there taking the shot and the, the energy in it is yeah. is so visible and relatable you know these people don't look like even though it's in black and white it doesn't look old at nope. all and again I, the timelessness quality i mean we keep coming back to that and it's absolutely true i mean he wasn't really discovered until later in life right no I that's mean, right th- this stuff is sort of sitting around more or less not being looked at until he was what in his 60s 70s yeah i think well he was discovered by the art world i think uh, around the world in the early 60s right but that that grand prix picture of the leaning wheel and that 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 he eventually got i believe that eventually got published and that was fairly early on that wasn't too long after that was taken where he was uh, uh, a French editor, I believe, said that he was an up and comer, that he was mm-hmm. he was he was a he was a good photographer. So he had some early notoriety there, and I think within France, people might have known who he was, but the greater art world didn't really know until the '60s, the early '60s. And if it, I think I read in the bio that he had a show at the Museum of Modern Art in New York in '63. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 1963. I can't remember the guy's name who curated it. John uh, Sarkovsky? Yeah. Up until then, I don't think, was he trying to be an artist? I mean, he just looks like he's taking pictures like the rest of us would be taking pictures. Yeah. You know, yeah. although he was a painter too, right? So that was part of his... Uh, and I think he said he, he preferred to be known as a painter. Right, right. I think right. his... Not as a photographer. You know, the value of his photography kind of overshadowed any of the painting, because I have never seen a Lartigue painting, but maybe that's just my problem or our problem. But No, he sold a lot of them. He, he uh, In order to make do later in life, he would make a painting and sell it to, like, pay the rent or get food uh, and something like that. So they're probably in houses, you know, all scattered around in France. <laughs> Nobody knows, yeah. who, you know. Who's his painting by? Going for let's go. I'll go forward now. I mean, we talked about his black and white stuff. I, you know what? His black and white stuff is just great. But like he he rubbed elbows somehow with all these um, very famous people. Yeah. Uh, a couple of shots I pulled out. One was with uh, John F. Kennedy in 1953. Yeah. Kennedy looks great, by the way. He's just sitting there yeah. smiling, and he's with. Uh, there's two women in the shot. I don't know who they are. I mean, I'm sure yeah. what the caption would be. 
And again, it's just this like slice of life moment. And then there's some color shot of uh, Picasso uh, and a crowd of people. I think they're at a bullfight. And, and Picasso's in the foreground. And the picture's a little blurry because everybody's sort of moving or maybe the camera was moving a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and he's got other shots of, of Picasso as well. And mm. I was like, wow, you, know, you, get the, you get to rub elbows with <laughs> some pretty impressive yeah. people. I, I didn't quite read up. I mean, I still have to read a lot about him. I didn't quite read how he ended up traveling in those paths, like how he got, you know, Kennedy and Picasso and whoever else he... Well, it could have been family connections or that he was... Maybe we are missing part of the history where he did have enough notoriety as an artist to be able to travel. Uh, I'm just wondering if the Kennedy pictures was uh, a travel to France, if it was the family going to visit with France and that to, to France, and that's where they probably because uh, I don't went. think he left France that often. Yeah, from what I know. But the thing about the Kennedy picture too is it looks a little posed. The one woman that's sitting oh, beside, oh, she's very much. Yeah. She's she's uh, you know, and the hair, the 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 winds blowing through her hair, mm-hmm. and then there's a young lady kind of looking back over her shoulder at the camera. It's a uh, but it's a very live again timeless mm-hmm. image. Like it's 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 right there. Well, especially it's, that woman at the bottom looking back at the camera. There's something yeah. like if she wasn't there, I don't know if it'd have the same kind of energy but, yeah no uh, i think you're right i think you're right i think the people are aware of the cameras and and but that's that crowd you know they're yeah they're out there to look good and i mean he's 1953 i don't know if he was uh he wasn't a senator yet was he kennedy in the 50 early uh, 50s i don't know i'm I don't not know. but he was somebody i mean obviously he's there you know uh in the uh you know in in, in alartig's camera view i mean i don't think i'll ever get to you know knob around with anybody like Kennedy yeah. and have pictures in the future of him. But uh, then he goes into doing his color work, which I think he's also doing when he's young as well, because yeah, his his parents, again, have well are well means and he can buy all this kind of uh, camera equipment that will let him do color pictures. And the first uh, color shots he was doing was something called an uh, autochrome process. Right. Um, do you know about that? Can you... A little that. bit. It's little bit. Uh, it's complicated. It's um, I believe it's done with three plates and three filters, a red, a green, and a blue, or whatever the, the th- three primary colors. Um, and the emulsion is made with potato starch. Potato starch, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so if you're so stuck you... in the forest, you could eat your plates. <laughs> <laughs> or you, you could, you'd be out there licking the, the emulsion <laughs> off. The... <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I don't know. yeah. So when you, when you, uh, I don't know if you project them, you just put the plates together and shine light through it and you mm-hmm. get this, uh, you get this color image, it was the fr- it was but one. it must've been magic. I mean, you think of early, like, uh, you know, 1912 or whenever, I don't know when, when the process was invented, but it must've been stunning to see these color images grainy as though they might have been. Right, right, right. I'm not sure it's the first color process, but it's certainly one of the first. Yeah. color processes and uh yeah i mean the same kind of experience uh, that we all had when we went from film to digital and we're looking at the back of the camera like whatever that magic is in photography yeah it, it's there you know looking at these and these autochrome pictures that he's got i mean he's no longer photographing motion as much because the autochrome is too slow yes uh, to be able to capture anything so he's got everybody sort of you know now he's got a woman in a go-kart and she's just sitting there and the go-kart's not moving and uh yeah. 
I don't know what kind of exposure times he had on this. Yeah, but, I don't know. Yeah, but and then he's got the glider. He's got the glider guys, but they're all just sort of posed in front of the glider. Yeah. And the thing about this, in order to equate this, uh, how do we, in, in modern terms, like we say it's very noisy. The pictures are very yeah. noisy. Uh, and there's a lot of red, green, well, they're not really technically red, It's but let's say red, green, and blue pixely yeah. kind of things in it. And uh, But there's a real ethereal look to the autochrome image and yeah you know I, I think we look back at it and we say oh how you know how quaint that is and how beautiful it is and he's looking at it you know way back when and saying this is freaking fantastic <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah just like you said i can imagine going from like well i remember when i only could shoot black and white film because that's all i could afford and when i could finally afford to shoot color you know slides yeah uh, it was it was like i can't wait to or when i had a black and white television that's why i grew yeah. up with a black and white television yeah me too yeah, and and when I could finally watch Star Trek in color, you know, or yeah. that show, uh, what was that show, um, UFO, right? The did you ever see that? Oh show? yeah, and, um, and the women and the women on the on uh, Moon had purple hair. I yeah, know that. You know, the no, Jerry no. Anderson show, but but they, I think they were they were you know, mainly counting that people would be looking at black and white. Anyway, I'm going I'm going all over the place, but I remember that that feeling. Like, I can't wait to have color. So, these pictures are quite. I don't know what to say about them. I mean, they're. They are beautiful. The technique is, you know, I mean, they, again, they're snapshotty life yeah. kind of shots, you mm -hmm. know, and you can see that he's exploring something new, but he can't quite get his, you know, he can't quite stop motion with it. No, but he's, I mean, he's still capturing the lifestyle. He still has yeah. cooperative subjects. He, he's doing the best with what he's got. I was going to step back for a second there and talk about color when you start shooting slide film and experiencing color. You think you've mastered black and white, whatever that means, and mm -hmm. then you go to color, and then particularly with slides, you're going, "Oh, I have to start again." <laughs> that's that's what happened to me, right? And I think, uh -huh. I think uh, that's one thing I could imagine going on in his mind. Now he's gone to color, and he, you know, he's lost some speed, and it's a slower, more complicated mm -hmm. process. Um, yeah, and I can just imagine him going, yeah, I had all these living images in black and white, and now I have these static images. So right. it would have been interesting if we could find an interview or a write-up on him about what his experience was starting to shoot color. I think it would be, it would be fascinating. Uh, so speaking about his color images, I got the book. Uh, I'm looking through it. And, you know, one of the things I'm noticing, at least in a lot of his later color pictures and i don't know if they did this on purpose when they were making the show but he seems to have some sort of attraction to the color red mm. you know I, yeah. there's like almost not every shot but there's like i got the shot of a, a i don't know this is probably in the 60s i think he took her in the late 50s shot of a building with a shadow of a palm tree and and, and inside is his companion wearing a red hat in this little right. dark window and then um a patisserie in uh, somewhere in france and there's these children standing in front of it, and there's a window, and there's a woman standing in the doorway, and she's got a red scarf on or something like that. Yeah, everyone else is in white. The whole right. scene the whole is dominated is, yeah. by white. Yeah, and then another yeah. shot, again, a, a wall with a shadow of a church on it and a, a, another shadow of a building, and in, in a sliver of light, there's this woman walking, and she's wearing a red sweater. Yeah. And then the last one, I mean, there's like endless examples, but this last one I thought was really interesting. It's a woman in a uh, pool swimming topless or naked, and she's sort of staring up at the sky, uh, and yeah. her hair's in water, and her lips are red. 
right? Which is Red, yeah. Stick. So I don't know if this was on purpose. Uh, I don't know if it was something that was subliminal or they, they were just, when they were looking through the archives to pull out pictures, someone who was putting the show together decided that, you know, they were going to highlight this kind of stuff. But even as earlier, I mean, some of his other color pictures, like red is predominant in a lot of the shots. Yeah. Uh, I'd agree. Uh, the shot of his, uh, again, his companion in a, what looks like a kitchen or something like that. And there's a red curtain behind her. Mm-hmm. She's. It's a great picture. It's actually one of my favorite of the color shots with all these uh, Venetian blinds creating shadows on her. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what's going on with him <laughs> in these shots. You know, he's again capturing uh, these little slices of life now in color. Do you think he's doing everything very deliberately? I mean, do you think he's he's he knows what he's doing, or is he snapshotting, or is he? I think the later stuff, he seems to really definitely be being he's considered about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earlier stuff, I think he the, he you know he was able to practice enough that he had a lot of good fortune, and the more you practice, the more you know the more fortune you get. And I think, I mean, some of this later stuff, like for like this one that you're talking about, the woman in the chair with the with the red red and white curtains behind her and the Venetian blinds, it's like editorial work for mm-hmm. a magazine, mm-hmm. for instance. Right, right. It's like a pro photographer model shoot almost. He did commercial work, but he only, I mean, really started doing it a lot later in life, right? A lot more. Yeah. 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 I got really inspired by that. I mean, the the whole story, I mean, I, and we're already at about an hour, so I kind of want to wrap it up a little bit. I mean, there's probably so much more we can talk about him, but his sort of life trek starts off early in love with photography and gets discovered later in life. And uh, he lives until he's like 92 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so he lived yeah. a really long life. And his path for photography is really nice. And I love to see that, like, he, he became kind of famous in his 60s or 70s and, you know, got his show in the museum. So I always like to think, like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, there's always hope for me. <laughs> well, also, too, that, that for you and I, especially uh, connection to childhood photography, right? I like that. I mean, the pictures that I took when I was 11 are nothing like what he was getting. No, well, you know? yeah. But that whole kind of experience of the, the magic of it early on and keeping to do it and becoming the family photographer. Oh, you got to come take pictures of this or right, right, some right. birthday cake or whatever. There's always one of us in the family that, that does that. And you can relate to him yep, yep. that way by a story. And you can certainly relate to his subjects by the way he captured them. He's Amazing dude. Yeah, and the one, as, as you were mentioning this, the thing that popped in my head today was we got, you and me, you know, we grew up in a certain time and, and photography was sort of an evolution. We, 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 you know, we started with these little cameras and we worked our way up to where we are now. This is going to sound like old man yelling at clouds or get off my grass kind of thing. Kids are growing up with cameras pretty much right in their hands once they can start grabbing things. Mm-hmm. And... I wonder, does that ma- is that magic then lost? Like, for me, photography was really this great evolution, and it was magical, and it still is. It still pulls me along as this thing that, you know, is a very, uh, I don't know, very privileged. I, have, I, I feel, um, you, you know what I'm talking about, all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And then kids, you know, as they're growing up with, everybody's growing up with a phone, right, in their hands. I, I'm mm-hmm. not making any judgments about that, but they have cameras built into it. And so right away, they're understanding. And they're being photographed all the time, too, by their yes. parents who have the same devices. So yeah. I wonder if if some of that is lost now with this, the way things are going. 
Yeah, lost, maybe displaced, displaced is, yeah. for me would yeah. be because the kids nowadays. <laughs> The kids nowadays, they use Snapchat and Instagram as methods of communicating with each other. Yeah, Yeah. and that's fine. I think I'm okay with that. You know, sometimes great stuff comes out of it, usually not, Mm -hmm. but that's that's just my point of view. But yeah, they're using it as a form of communication, and I think there's the odd kid who goes through the Instagram stream and finds something wait a sec, this is really cool. Mm. Someone stood and took a picture of this, I don't know, the Statue of Liberty at sunrise or whatever the subject is, and going, wait a second, there's something else going on. And I think think every now and then you do get kids who maybe they start with the iPhone and they or another smartphone Mm. and they go around and and do an artistic, try and and produce some kind of art out of it. So their path is is Uh, different. I mean, it's... it's it will lead to the same thing the the magic and love of photography and pull them along it's yeah. just uh, and they can't help it now they are surrounded with images and and visuals all the time and so unlike Lartigue who you know photography is something less than was it less than 100 years old when he was yeah it was no yeah, no it was a little yeah. bit more than that. no 1840 yeah. yeah and with the displacement comes uh, a generational thing where if we were older, we could reflect a lot on what we created, too. Mm-hmm. Like we would, you know, I would shoot during the week or on Friday, uh, whatever, Friday night. I would, you know, develop the roll of film or sometimes Saturday and wait for it to dry, wait for the negative to dry, right. and then print on Saturday night and Sunday night. And there was that stretching out the of the, the drawing out of the process that it became a reflection. Mm-hmm. And I think it even though it did really mean no good at all in terms of being an artist when I was a teenager, there was a, like, you learn how to look at negatives, you learn how to look at prints, you learn how to how to get rid of your defects, and there's a craft to it that I think if you're on a phone, you don't really, you're not really exposed, you're not, well, I keep using that <laughs> word, but, you, 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 but you're not really confronted with some of the, I don't know, arduousness of a, of a, of a mechanical or, right. or chemical process. Well, this is probably the, I mean, this was always the inevitable end or, and the way photography was going to evolve. I mean, it was yeah. always going to go from we, a Lartigue style, Matthew Brady style or whatever gear and, and whatever to where we are now. And who knows what it's going to be, you know, in another 20 years, this was the path that it was always going to be. So and it's what we wanted too. Like um, oh, one yeah, of the reasons yeah. why I don't I don't do film anymore is not because I don't I don't dislike it. I love it. I mean, uh, Mark took me to the uh, dark room at the Alberta College of Art mm-hmm. over here, and um, I could smell the chemicals right, again, right, and right. it was a nostalgic rush. Yeah, but okay. I would have killed to have a contrast slider instead of. <laughs> You know, filters and try this and then doing this and then, oh, now I got dust on it and I got to go back and and do it again all that kind of stuff. Hey, you kids, you really aren't missing anything. (laughs) No, you're not. And we're not. But it was just sort of like, and it inflated the value once you finally got the good print. Yeah. Don't you know how hard I worked for this damn thing, you know? Right, because we we climb the mountain, but we fall down a few times and we keep getting up there right now that you just now you just float to the top there but uh it'll be interesting to to sort of revisit this you know uh not maybe us uh you know in like 40 or 50 years and see what people will be talking about you know in terms of uh, 
digital and, and photography evolution. So I think we barely scratched the surface with this guy, but the, I know. Yeah, I know, right? I wanted to get this out as a feeler for people to like go and explore this guy's work and and read about him you know it's like these are the these are the people who i mean i hate to say this so cliche but we're standing on the shoulders of of these guys but what's great about lartigue's work and i'm sure other people will come across in the future is that you know they have the same struggles as we did you know photographically and you can see their lifestyle the life that they're living uh is very much relatable i think to where we are now uh, and that's yep. a lot of the fun of it's a, a lot of the fun I've had with deep dives and photographers, like realizing how much of a human being they are and relatable. So I like doing that. I'm bored. I'm really happy that you were willing to spend your evening with me. Me too. No, that's great. I uh, um, we got to do it in person one of these days. That's true. Yes, we'll uh, we'll meet up someplace halfway, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or you wanted to come out to New York, right? I'm, no, I'm coming out to New York right. one of these that's, days. Yeah. That's great. You know, uh, we'll uh, find you a place to stay. <laughs> I, wish, <laughs> I wish you could stay here, but it's a mess. But anyway, so, hey, Ward, where can people who are listening look for your work and find out where you are? I uh, just look for my name, Ward Rosin, W-A-R-D-R-O-S-I-N, on Facebook. I'm the only one there. Uh, I'm Ward Rosin Fine Art on Instagram, and I uh, have a website that's sort of falling into neglect, but Mark and, and my book, um, Between Dust and Sky, is still available for sale at uh, rosin.ca, R-O-S-I-N.ca. It's our website, or my website, and... Um, that's about it. Right. If you search for me, you'll find me without a doubt. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, repeat of me and Ward uh, talking about Lartigue. I'm thankful for uh, knowing Ward. And he loves to discuss this kind of stuff. And uh, we'll have more shows uh, coming up, me and him, I'm sure, once we figure out the list of stuff. But, uh, hope, you know, hopefully uh, by next – well, I mean – if I'm working, you know, it's kind of hard to, to get the show together, but I'll try to get something together that's new for uh, next time. But but uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to repeat this episode. Anyway, the opening uh, quotes, if you haven't figured it out, are from Jacques-Henri Lartigue, and uh, I thought they were appropriate. Um, very nice, actually. Anyway, uh, if you were looking for the show notes for this episode and past episodes, uh, you can just go to the website, which is uh, streetshots.photography. I'm a little behind uh, updating it, but uh, everything will be on there. If not, you can just go to the Podbean page uh, where this show is hosted. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at amrosario and Flickr at amrosario and Facebook uh, as Rosario Photo. And look for me and uh, Ward and my fellow uh, brothers in light over at the Unusual Collective at unusualcollective.photography and like I said if you uh, if you like the show you can always send me some exposure bucks on uh, iTunes by rating and reviewing the show and any place else that you can find reviews and ratings uh, for the podcast let your friends know that you like the show and if you got some sort of tips and tricks and uh, feedback to uh, to send me you can just uh, drop me a line uh, in any of those places and, and let me know I'd like to hear what you guys are thinking uh, about how I'm doing and get any uh, you know tips for stuff that you want for another show uh, anyway uh, the Street Shots theme music was uh, written and produced by Phyllis Audio you can find out more about the 
creative genius behind Phyllis Audio at phyllisaudio.com. That's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S audio.com. And yeah, if I haven't figured out a, uh, a jingle to say goodbye. So I'll just say, hey, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And thanks a lot for uh, spending some time with me. Take care.